Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. Today, uh, if you've ever listened to Raiders Group Therapy for any amount of time, you know that Roshni and I are both gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm into the I'm into the Twitch stuff, and I play a lot of Genshin and a lot of a uh, Tomb Raider. And you like Dungeons and Dragons, and you're you're uh, you're a Switch person, right? Yep, and all the retro games. The retro, you like the texty games and the retro games. Yeah. Well, we were talking about writing for games and how cool that would be, and I thought let's let's have someone who's done this on. So today we have with us David Bergantino who has, uh, he's been a great advisor to me and a mentor, because uh, as you also know, I've developed a, a mobile game called Wordcursion, and he helped me find my developers and, and has coached me on that and stuff. So he's decided, to, he's agreed to come on the podcast. Uh, hi, David. Welcome to the podcast. Hello there. Thank you very much for having welcome. me. Welcome. <laughs> David uh, is a, a veteran in this business. He has 30 years of experience in storytelling in both traditional and interactive uh, entertainment, including with some of the biggest studios like Nickelodeon and Disney. Uh, he's worked with people like Wes Craven and Clive Barker and M. Night Shyamalan. I knew I was going to say his name wrong. M. Night <laughs> Shyamalan <laughs> and Neil Gaiman, who I am so, that's so cool. Neil Gaiman's great because I actually did his course on Masterclass, so I want to hear about that. Oh, great. And you've sold over 20 million games, uh, 11 novels, dozens of games, wrote stories for... Oh, you wrote a story and a script for a, a theme park ride for The Mummy. Yeah, for The Mummy down in Florida. Yeah, Universal Studios. So, yeah, you've got like a huge... Um, you know, as a writer, it's kind of cool because you're writing for things that are like... You know, think about, you think about writing, you think about books and movies and all these other things that we we consume as media and entertainment have to be written by someone and you've done a lot of that. Right. Yeah, so how did how did you get into that area of writing? Well, th- that's the thing is I started as a novelist. And so I have on top of all the other stuff that you just cited, I have 11 published novels. And I got hired at Disney Interactive after I published my first novel, which was uh, the novelization of uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So oh. in essence, Freddy Krueger introduced me to Mickey Mouse. Oh, scary. <laughs> yep. Uh, great. And so, and then it just kind of went from there, huh? Yeah. So, so I got, I got super lucky because this is the mid nineties and this is when the, the ringing refrain across the game industry was, ah, eh, they'll just skip past it. You know, whenever it came to a cutscene or story. And part of that was fair in the sense that, the technology wasn't really delivering photo realistic visuals at the time. There were still lots of jagged edges and, and, and polygonal shapes showing. So it wasn't sexy. It wasn't like you were watching a Marvel movie. You, you knew you were playing a game. And so they didn't really try all that hard to do good storytelling back then, partially for that reason. Plus there was just a culture of, you know, this isn't a book we're not reading. You know, well, this is about action. This is about gameplay. So even even attempts at story were sort of, okay, if we must. And, uh, and the other part of it was, you know, my argument was always, well, if they're going to skip past it, why don't we write something that people won't skip past? 
this, you know, sort of going into it with the attitude, oh, they're just going to skip past it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I got lucky because Disney is, as you, you might have heard, is very much into story and character. And so I got lucky by them wanting somebody, not only who was a writer um, in a different medium, but I was a horror novelist. What 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 the heck is a horror novelist doing in at Disney Interactive? <laughs> yeah. And but that was intentional on their part because they wanted they wanted two things. Um aside from just a legit writer is they wanted somebody who wrote for the what used to be called the core gamer audience, you know, who the shooters and Resident Evil and and all the the console games. Mm. And you know, Disney content at the time, particularly all the, you know, Mickey Mouse, which was sort of in limbo creatively at the time, you know, that didn't, that didn't hit the core gamers and that's where all the money was at the time. So me being a horror author was, was that box checked. Um, the other is they didn't want a disney in the role. A lot of people, I don't know who you've met who works for Disney, but there are a lot of people who work for Disney who are working for Disney because they love Disney. They're, they're, they're steeped in Disneyana, but they didn't want that. They didn't want a Disney fan. They wanted a game fan. They wanted a writer. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Wow. So when you first started working for Disney, were you writing for their theme park or were you writing for their video game? I mean, I guess they didn't have a big video game they, department. Back oh, then, they but... did. Yeah. Oh, the, they did? Di- yeah. It was called Disney Interactive. It was probably, so this is 95 to 96. The whole thing came into being because uh, somebody, the Disney Interactive had been in business years before that. And somebody was brought in who used to run Chuck E. Cheese to shut down Disney Interactive because they weren't making any money. Instead, he turned around, published a huge game in the Aladdin game, and built up a thousand people across three divisions. And that became Disney Interactive when I was there. Oh, my gosh. I always thought Disney Interactive was all educational stuff. No, no. Back at, back then, before it was officially Disney Interactive, so I think it became mm-hmm. Disney Interactive 93, 94, something like that. Um, it was called Disney Software. And that's what originally was just you know, storybooks and more educational software. As of the incarnation of Disney Interactive, the education, the edutainment, which is where that word came from, the edutainment was its own division. And then we were the entertainment division that that did the consoles and the core games, not that oh. we really published much outside of the movie games. I mean, I was hired not to write per se. It was more like I was hired to be a producer who had a writing background. And part of my my remit versus a lot of the other producers was to create original IP for Disney Interactive. So I was dealing with all the like we were we did pitches for like The Rock, remember that that old movie? We were doing pitches <laughs> yeah. for all the internal sort of uh I forget what the The Rock, you mean the the Nick Cage Sean Connery yep, movie? Yep, yep. Oh, we were, they do- were doing a, a game for that. Well, wow. we tried. We we were pitching stuff. Yeah. Um, it was sort of like I was I was doing I was doing the hardest hardest. That's a hard way of uh, a way of putting that. But I was doing the hard part in the sense that 
I was trying to create original IP in a place where all they wanted to do was license or at least the semblance of license by, by just creating games based on their own characters. So, so there were, so I worked both to create original games, none of which saw the light of day and also co-producing as a, as an associate producer, um, games like Hercules and, uh, uh, this, this cult original game we came up with, with, uh, Donald Duck called, called Cold Shadow, uh, and the Gargoyles game. Those were my first games, Gargoyles and, and Cold Shadow. And, um, so this is, that was sort of like my day job within Disney Interactive. And then I moonlighted as I created, I created this, what is now a very common form of interactive narrative game, like, um, uh, not, not quite what, uh, it's sort of like what Telltale is now or what Telltale became. Oh, yeah, it's kind of branching narrative. Yeah, branching um, narrative. I, storytelling. I created I created a design for that back in 95 based on a location-based uh play I saw in LA. Um I forget what it's called now, but I, a friend of mine worked in the box office and snuck me the script and I broke down the script on how they created a play that took place in all over a mansion simultaneously. And I figured out a, a design for interactive narrative based on that. But that's, yeah, it was, Which it, wow. You have to think very differently in that because you're not yep. thinking linear, linearly, right? Right, right, and and that's that's where things have gone, even in linear games like like I just did Dying Light Two, and it's a linear game, but depending on what you do and 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 what your choices are, there are different outcomes along the way for different side stories and even the main story, and so and now that's come about not to skip ahead, but now that's come about because it used to be, aside from the fact that now everything is photorealistic and wonderful and rich and giant, you know, glittering worlds, um, you know, you, you've been reduced to just about two engines, Unreal and, um, gosh, I'm not doing good at remembering today. Unity, <laughs> Unity Unreal and Unity. And, and, and all these engines can do, and these two engines alone can do just about everything. And the point at which you've got two standardized engines that can do everything, when there used to be just the racing engine, the platform engine, the, the third-person adventure engine. So these were all broken up into different engines. The moment you've got them all in one engine means all the games technically can look and act the same way, which means the differentiator becomes story and character, not technology. That is so amazing because that's basically like modern gaming. So you basically changed the whole face of gaming <laughs> by breaking down that one script, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, like, like I said, sad, sadly, sadly, I, I, I will be, I will be garnering no awards for that because uh, it, it never saw the light of day. So therefore it does not exist in our world mm -hmm. because what happened shortly after was you know, then a, the thousand person uh, division sort of collapsed in on itself because, man, oh, man, were we spending money? 
we were flying all over the world and we were making games and spending money and the mon- and the games weren't making money. And then there was mm-hmm. all the money we spent on developing all these concepts. Some I actually still have concept art on my wall today. We did my I had concept art that was hand painted, like oil painted concept art. Ooh, wow. That's that's the we we did storyboards for our pitches on like four by six uh, panels of foam core that one pitch would fill an entire conference room all around. And we walk like stations of the cross from pitchboard to pitchboard. That's the kind of money we were spending. And of course it collapsed in on itself shortly thereafter with the first thing to go was all original material. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. I mean, from what I know of my limited video game history, though, I feel like the 90s was a lot of um, experimentation and like things didn't really pan out until the 2000s anyway. So it was kind of probably just bad timing, you know? Well, it's it's cyclical, particularly with a place like Disney Interactive. The joke was that you never that that your average job at the uh, in the games industry was about two years. They put a lot of money into the start. They release something, it would bomb, and they'd close down. And that's pretty much a two-year cycle. And this was particularly true at the studios, minus Warner Brothers. But every two years, Disney Interactive. At one point, we were Buena Vista Interactive. At another point, they were Disney Interactive Entertainment, which was kind of unfortunate because that made the initials die. And um, <laughs> I just got that. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and it, it, and every time they had one success, somebody used it as an excuse to re repopulate the entire you know the entire division. So at the time, the, la- the one of the other times it happened was was with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It made a ton of money for the studio, so they then bulked it back up again and started making all sorts of stuff. And the same thing happened. None of that stuff um, uh, made enough money. So they closed it down. Then after a couple iterations of that, of course, the latest one was, well, first there was a buy, buying of studios, but then there was the toys, uh, toys to life business uh, with uh, the uh, Disney infinity, like the Lego things like Skylanders. Disney was only oh, in, yeah. and Disney was only in that business for two years before they shut it down. That's crazy. That's crazy. Do you think there's a, a disconnect between what Disney felt people were, the audience that was watching stuff on TV and in movies, versus who was going to play the game? Well, this is something that we struggled with at Disney. Um, I think people kind of get it now, but we were also we we had other challenges on top of that. Um, we, one of our one of the big challenges was we were trying to, we were being forced is a strong word but to create games that were to be released day and date with films but yikes oh my god that's that's insane <laughs> that's insane anyway but um at the same time they were so secretive about them the, the movies they were making, they wouldn't share any materials with us until the very last minute. Oh. And that was something, that was something we, we finally got it, especially I think for Hercules and, and maybe Hunchback. But 
early on, it was so hard to make games because we would have to basically build the game blind based on just um, just basically some storyboards and some concept art, but we had no assets we could use. We couldn't know the, the, the really, we, we were not even allowed to know the story of the movie for, for, for a long time. And so we would kind of just kind of build an engine and some mechanics and some levels and hope that, and then just make stuff up. Once we got the, the information we needed, we would completely retrofit whatever story there was for the movie just to fit the game because we had to. That's all we could do. Wow. That's actually one thing we were wondering, because games are such a visual medium. I mean, what comes first? Do you have to storyboard it first or do you write or do you do it concurrently? Obviously, in this case, you had to just kind of make stuff up. But like, well, it's it it depends. It depends on the game. It prim- for the most part, it starts with the technology. What's what's our what's our what's our design hook? You know, for Dying Light to or for Dying Light, it's parkour. It's first person parkour um, for, you know, so, so you know, the um, the uh, uh, Devil May Cry series mm-hmm. that that legend has it comes out, came out of a bug they found in uh, a Resident Evil game where somebody would walk up to a wall in a Resident Evil game when they were developing it and bounce off the wall. And then they looked at that a couple of times and went, hey we could make a whole game based on that mechanic. <laughs> so random. And that's it's not a bug, it's a feature. You're right. And that's where Dante comes from. And that's that's where Devil May Cry came from. So it, it generally is they 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 create they they find out what their core mechanic is. Uh you if you're smart you find out who your core audience is. <laughs> and then and then you sort of back into the story based on um the world that can be created by that um, by that mechanic, and the the, uh, the best way to look at it, the most simplistic way of looking at it, that is to think of it as as every video game is a superhero movie, because superhero characters are their mechanics, it's their powers, right? And so you have to build everything around that mechan- the mechanic of the superhero, so that there's some balance in the world. Whether it's Spider-Man and a bunch of Spider-Man, but the, if you notice, the formula of the early Marvel films are always the superhero and then the evil version of the exact same thing. Ah, okay. Like, like uh, the Abomination is the opposite of the Hulk. The Hulk, uh, right. yeah, Ironmonger or whatever, whatever his yeah, name was. Yeah, versus Iron Man. Yeah, and... yeah. So everything mm-hmm. is versus itself, and that was their best way of showing of basically very simply setting up a world and then the dynamics that rationalize that character's powers. Because that was something they could never do in the 70s, where which is why the Hulk runs or, or Spider-Man ran around just breaking bank robberies. There were no supervillains. You need supervillains if you can have superheroes. It's like, which came first? Yeah. Talking a little bit more about the writing side yep. of it, and, and this is, this will be easier if we go if we move away from the companies you worked for that yep. had all kinds of existing IP, and we talk about um, Return, One Way Trip, yep. and now you have a sequel out, Return Two, Runaway. Yeah, those are unique IPs that you guys developed yourselves, and uh, it's a two D two D side scroller. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a really spooky horror game with some kids in the woods. 
and then they get on a, a spooky train and, and talk, talk about the development of that story. Cause I feel like that probably came more out of the story idea. didn't it? Yes. But what happened was I was approached uh, by the producer of that because he had all the assets. He had a train, he had the an idea of a, basically a Japanese anime themed horror something or other. And, um, but needed somebody to write the story pretty much after he had created all the assets. Oh, interesting. Yes. And, but it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like somebody saying, I've got an old farm ranch. Somebody write me a script to do a movie on it. Well, the biggest, the biggest, and oh yeah, actually, yes. That's very much like that. The, the, the difference, the, the difference in, with games and, and this is, and just about any other medium where writing is important, like film and television, film and television in particular, well, books are easy because the writer is the thing, right? Because you don't write a novel by committee. I sit down, I write a novel that's either finished or not because of me. Film and television is more collaborative, but even if you're, you're getting your, you know, script notes from a producer, nine times out of 10, even if that person is not a writer themselves, they've been steeped in entertainment and knows what is good about good or bad about a story uh, for a film or, or a TV project. The problem with with games is that most most writing is judged by people who have no connection with writing. Oh, that's so true. We need to pull we pull that quote, post it on the thing. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the that's quote from meme. the thing right there, yeah. A meme right there, yeah. And and so it's so it's it's so that's why you get but and then there's the whole everyone's creative, right? So that's why a game game like like um like return you know, sort of backs into what the story is because, ooh, I know what can sell this type of art and this kind of story. I've got the framework. Oh, I need to put something mm, inside that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's all, all well and good because these are the kinds of things, especially having worked with IP, you know, other people's IP, I kind of excel at that because it, like with IP, all these frameworks already exist. So I need to work as efficiently as possible to make something cool within that. And that's what I tried to do with, uh, with return. And I had a lot of leeway for what that became. So, so literally I was given all these visuals and a couple, couple starting points. And I just did what I thought would be a great Japanese horror film style story. I co-designed all the puzzles to fit like to be integral parts of that story, not just here's the story and here's the puzzle. It all came together. I had so much fun on that project. I think it shows too. It's a really cool game. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. It's 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 you know it's it's an experience of its own. It's not you know it's not zombie parkour. It's like reading a book that you walk back and forth while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? For for it being that, I I hope I I pushed as much out of it as possible for scares and for character development. I wanted it's I, it's a to me even it's a very emotional story. So mm-hmm. I I probably that is the one game of all the games that I've written where that's that's me. If you want to know how what game I would make, if you gave me all the money in the world. That's what I would do. 
which that's awesome because how many people can say that about a project? You know, right. usually you're working towards the one you want. I'd be curious too, because games are interactive and, you know, like you were saying, for example, a novel is a solo act versus, you know, collaborative effort. How do you anticipate in your writing like that? What if the player tries to break the game? Like, how do you anticipate somebody's every move in writing? Well, to some extent, that's covered by the way the game designers do the game. Mm -hmm. um, at, because they limit what you can do. And it also depends on the, the style of the game. If it's Dying Light, which is open world, there's, there's all sorts of technical ways they can break the game, let alone story. And, and so luckily, I, I, I mean, I play a lot of games, so I understand how stories can work. And, and I'm very big on continuity, even with especially with games, because of that issue. Um, but, it, but for example, a game like, like the Uncharted series, those are very story-oriented, oriented, but they're also linear. And so, I'm actually playing those right now. I'm actually in, I'm in Uncharted 2 right now. I'm oh, starting at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, great. So yeah, yeah, they are very linear. But mm -hmm. yeah, you kind of have story and then action, then story, then action. Right. But what they did, though, was, I mean, you can skip skip through the visuals but they they made an effort to uh i mean the the cutscenes they made an effort to make to have that to take an, a holistic approach to telling the story of that game so that the gameplay is cinematic and the story the story bits are so well produced you want to see them for the same reason you would sit and watch a scene from a movie mm -hmm. and so they they're they and the only, as far as I'm concerned, the only way that even happened is because those guys, uh, those guys could afford to do it themselves by that time. No one was really going to take a chance. They wouldn't have never taken a chance on a new studio with that form of game. But it was it was Naughty Dog who had already produced a bunch of big hits, and so they they could afford to build their own demo of that, and that's why that game exists. It's not because not because publishers are going, oh, this is what we want to do. Nope. It was because the developer decided that's what they wanted to do. Oh, wow. So the developer kind of is like, I guess, where the buck stops, right? Like like a director of a film. It's the in, developer. In this case, yes. I mean, they're they're sort of like the production company. But mm -hmm. it, it it depends on again, it depends. You you if you have somebody like Naughty Dog and Insomniac, who also who incidentally both came out of the the universal um, uh, uh, mid '90s, early '90s universal version of well, Universal Interactive, and they were given a tr tremendous leeway to create, um, and who later has so much power that uh, they can do stuff. It, that's fine. Everybody else, it's more like the studio system. You have to make what the money people are giving you, and it's the second game. If you've done well with the first game, listening to them, the second game, they'll listen to you. Ah, isn't that always the way? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious. All right. Um, so I write YA fantasy. I tried to hit 60,000 words minimum. Tom and I both write scripts, maybe around 120 pages or a little bit less. If it's a, uh, you know, comedy or something, what is an average game script? What's the length of an average game script? Again, they, and I think, and this is this is this is the blessing and the curse of writing. There is almost no standards. There are almost no standards in writing. Like like even like every script, uh, 
except for some of the newer ones, you know, you're, you're usually shooting for around, you know, 95 to 120 pages novels. Like you said, you, you, you easily rattled off some, some ranges of the kinds of novels. Uh, Cause I've done the same thing, but for games, it just depends. I mean, I, I, we wrote reams and reams and reams and reams for Dying Light 2 because it's a huge open world. And there are also t- t- like a dozen different things to write for, like the cutscenes versus uh, the in-game scenes versus the background dialogue versus reactions to specific things that happen. You know, there's all these parts that have to get put together, whereas everything else is more monolithic. Um, I, you know, I wrote a, I, I wrote a little pot farming game that was, oh, about 10,000 words. I wrote, I, I wrote an adult fantasy game that was about 30,000 words. Um, I would, I would say I've written at least, at least four novels worth of text for, for Dying Light. And that's, Holy and that's, wow. and that's not me originating like that's just the stuff that I built for them and and some of the stuff I polished, let alone the sum total of all the text there is in the game. It's there's an insane amount of, of text in this game. Wow. Okay. How how is that different from doing the theme park stuff? I have to before we wrap <laughs> up, I, I, I gotta I gotta go back to the mummy because that's so cool. How did you get involved in doing a theme park ride? Well, because uh, I know like like Disney has very narrative yeah. theme park rides. Yeah, uh, this was early on. A friend of mine was actually the design director for the park. Uh, she had she had cut her teeth on the very first, um, you know, the Halloween nights thing. She, mm-hmm. yeah. the, she like I went to the very first one of those because that was one of her first wow. big successes. And then she transferred to Florida sometime after that and just calls me up one day and says, I need you to do this. And we we and I was at a mall and we actually brainstormed the story for the ride while I was pacing in a mall in Burbank. And and then <laughs> really? Yeah. And and like and it and you know, me, especially I was early in games and I was always like, she just wanted a story. I'm like, yeah, but there's a ride. It's gotta be mechanics. It's gotta be tense. And so I, I had her, I suggested that they, they do this thing with a track where towards the end, because there's the mummy and then there's the good guy. I forget who's who. I've never really seen the movies. I've actually never been to this ride. And there's like this tug of war and you just zip through one of them or their mouths and you're done. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to rock the ride on your way there. So you feel like it's a tug of war. You have to tilt the, if you can do it without killing people, you should do this. And she's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Don't kill people. Good, good, good tip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so, and so, you know, I later then she, she sent me, she's, she sent me the outline and said, okay, write a script based on this. It was only what the rides, what maybe three to five minutes. It's not very much. And there's only so much you can do, but it was, it was sort of based on my experience with the Indiana Jones ride and what didn't work for me with that. Huh? 
I will say the mummy ride, at least the one he, I haven't been to the Florida one, the one here in California, mm -hmm. if it's based on the same thing, is one of my favorite rides. So good job. <laughs> it, well, thank you. It, they're actually completely different rides, I found out. Are they oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the Florida one is better. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I I like I said, I've never been, and I don't know if it's still there. I haven't looked lately, but there have been. I think at one point they changed the rides for the Tom Cruise Mummy. Oh, interesting. Oh yeah, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, that huh. was a the the not a good that didn't go very well. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it didn't. Oh man, yeah. Speaking of Florida versus other places, um, you said that you used to live in L.A., but you recently moved to the East Coast. What is it like writing outside of an industry center or does it not matter at this point in your career? Well, it doesn't. And that's exactly why I moved. Um, mm. I, I mean, I, I I didn't dislike L.A. I've lived there for 30 years. And I, I've moved away several times and always come back. Um LA as a entertainment industry and for games it was not is not really relevant to my world plus my world I I I work for clients in Poland and China and South America and maybe and one in the US but all with all of their developers who are who are offshore and at one point I just said hey you know I can do this from anywhere and if I can where would I go and it's I just landed somewhere that's peaceful i got a house and and nice surroundings and an amazing neighborhood and it's just quality of living is is higher for me right now and i'm still doing exactly the same thing i was doing in la and and i still have contacts in la i i've you know i've been i've been at this a long time and and so <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i didn't lose anything you know, it used to be, oh my God, you 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 leave LA, you're you're done for. I'm like, eh. Yeah. I I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting in, in Ohio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, this has been really cool. I, I loved hearing about all the different things you've done. It's kind of a strange industry to get into. What suggestions you do do you have? for someone who's interested in getting into game writing yeah are there classes or is it just kind of like find it come up with an indie thing do it yourself that kind of stuff yeah there's a there's a couple different ways because again it, it, it's it's very non-standardized when it comes to writers and also um writers are the least of what developers even are thinking of in terms of hiring and so the the for the for the youngins it's it's you know, go to, go to, uh, there are plenty of decent, um, video game programs within schools now, although they're mostly centered around technology, like programming and, and art. If you get into the program, they all now have side, side bits on design and, um, and storytelling. And it's, it's not even, you would think that like USC, which probably has the biggest, most famous one, you know, I have never, I have never spoken there. I have never, and whereas all of my producer friends and designer friends and and artist friends, they've all become adjunct professors there. Just, just ah. meanwhile, a, a Hollywood screenwriter is the head of the program. The guy. You know, there's a professor there who who listens to our podcast because he's uh he's he's made his class his, his students listen to some of our podcasts. Oh really? 
So if, if he's listening, call David. <laughs> he's probably a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I know almost everybody there. And, and I, that's, that is only to say that, that, that that's the level, that's a, a gauge of the stature of film of, of writers in games. If a place like USC kind of ranks them that way. Um, your next best bet, as far as I'm concerned, is just get a job at a publisher or developer for whatever. Usually it's a tester or or associate producer, although I think things have changed since I was I started. But you basically just have to be in somewhere. And both for writing and for and this is if you're not yet if you're a published writer or you're, you you've you've got you've got some writer's chops that makes it easier for you, you to look on either at at website on websites for publishers or developers and see if they're looking for cuz the narrative director or writers of any sort and then if you have credits then that that can kind of skip you to the writing part otherwise or if you're you're not finding that what i suggest people do is find out what games you like and then go approach those companies because you already have what one of the big things that they need is passion for what they do. And so that's a good point. Yeah, you got to have passion. Yeah. And then, and, and an affinity if, you know, like I'm, I, I, like I, <laughs> my, mine is like, if I could, I would, I would write for double fine right now. I just finished Psychonauts 2 and I loved it. And I'm like, that's the game I want to, I want to play. That's the game I want to write, and uh, mm -hmm. and and that's exactly what I would do. Is I'd I'd start I'd start looking around to see if they need anybody. Pull pull some strings, you know. I want I I want to do that, but it's it's because I have a total affinity for for what they do. I love it, and that's I think. And and you can go and especially on on mobile, it's really easy to browse games. And see, well, I've never heard of that game before, but you know what? I like I like what they're doing there. Maybe I should talk to them. Cool. What's next for you? And um, and uh, where can people find you online if they're looking to to connect with you or see what you've been working on? Um. Well, uh, let's see. What am I working on now? Uh, a ton of stuff. Uh, most of which I cannot speak out loud. Oh, the uh, game industry is super <laughs> secret, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's really secret. Yeah. yeah. But what I can tell you is I'm continuing on with, with Dying Light, not just on Dying Light 2, but for two other projects. Oh. Um, I have two projects with ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok in China. Um, oh, wow. I, cre hmm. I created an IP for an upcoming um, NetEase game. They're another huge Chinese uh, uh, company. And then I'm doing a bunch of, I'm basically doing, oh, I can't wait till I can talk about this. <laughs> I am doing a project that I myself have been trying to get off the ground for over 20 years. It wow. finally got off the ground, not Congrats. because of me, but I got then engaged to work on this project, which is the project that I've been wanting to do for decades. Oh. I, I kid you not. Well, congratulations. Yeah, awesome. thank you. And that, have to have you back when you can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that, the story, oh, the stories I can tell because of my history with this particular um, uh, IP. 
Oh, oh, oh. But so, yeah, and, and it's a full range of adventure, first person, mobile, console. Um, you know, I'm doing a little an MMO. I'm doing two projects for another Polish uh, MMO company in Poland. Um, and then a bunch of kids stuff uh, for uh, another uh, Amer- uh, US-based publisher. So it's a, wow. it's a full range of wacky, cool stuff, all of, all of which I love. There's That's the, my favorite thing about the way this is all turned out. And you know that this isn't the case in a lot of cases, especially is that I am working on everything that I love and I love everything that I work on. Knock on wood. That's amazing. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, check out uh, David Bergantino's uh, games on various platforms and consoles. Uh, I know Return and Return Two are on Steam. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, the, congratulations and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank thanks. You. you, my, if you want to uh, check out uh, coldroomentertainment.com, you can, you can. Oh, cool. You can check out all my all my publicly available projects and and ways to to play them and where they're they're to be found. Uh, you can also check my uh, Facebook authors page, where I I post um, I post stuff on projects as they're. I'm about to post a, a, a new project that I I just got engaged that I can I can talk about. Um, cool. And uh, uh, and that that wing recipes and puns. So there you go. <laughs> Great. Those are the best ways. I'm not a huge social media guy, but but I, I do promote my stuff when it when I can. All right. Great. Thank you. Uh, Everyone else, thanks for listening. And do follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at WGTherapy.com or check us out at WritersGroupTherapy.com. And we'll see you next time. 